Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis how Noah's son, Japheth's lineage, is the other sheep that are not of this fold that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke of. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, here's some highlights from yesterday's message. So the prophecy here in verse 21 is that God will persuade Japheth. Very, very important. Is God and the words of God and the Messiah really only for the Jewish people? That's the question that's on the table. And that's what John 3.16 is answering. That's the answer. And the answer is a resounding no. Therefore, the calling of the Jewish people is not to keep the word of God for themselves. Now here's Tom Cantor as we continue our expository study of the life and generations of Noah from the book of Genesis. So, now we can ask the question, what is Japheth's condition today? And if you like to turn to Romans 11, and Romans 11, which is actually one of the chapters about the Jewish people, Romans 11, but in Romans 11 verse 32, it's speaking, it's speaking here about all people. And it says in Romans 11.32, For God hath concluded them all in unbelief, that he might have mercy upon all. So that word, that, that's a very important word, conclude. Right? It's very conclusive. <laughs> it's conclude. <laughs> it's very important. So the word conclude, so only God can make a statement. Like, only God can make this conclusive statement because he knows everybody. So he can make this all-encompassing, conclusive statement about Japheth's condition. What's the condition? All of Japheth is in a state of unbelief. God hath concluded them all in unbelief. Now, anthropologists today, they don't agree. They look over the heathen cultures, and they justify those cultures. And men like James Michener writes his books on Hawaii and concludes that it's the missionaries who disrupted their content life, their, their pure, untouched culture. Of course, he never mentioned all those human sacrifices that the Hawaiians did to their god, Ku, but anyway, that doesn't matter. But, so the anthropologists have concluded that the natives are fine. They're fine in their natural state. But God, to the contrary, has concluded them all in unbelief. If God views all of Japheth in unbelief, then that's how we should view Japheth, all in unbelief. So the question is, so God sees them in unbelief. How does he view them in all in unbelief? Does God view them all in unbelief? Does he view Japheth in unbelief so he can say, now I can send them all to hell? See? Does God view, view Japheth in unbelief so that he can sit back and say, you had it coming, it serves you right as he cast them into hell? If that's how God views Japheth in the world, then that, that's an issue. But the key to seeing how God views all of Japheth in unbelief comes from the word all, which is used twice there in Romans 11.32. So the first part says, God hath concluded them all in unbelief. Conclu- very encompassing. Then it says that he might have mercy upon all. So the verse does not say God concludes them all in unbelief so that he could judge them all. But when God sees them all in unbelief, God, God doesn't say, okay, now I can judge them. In other words, God sees them all in unbelief, and he says, this is great, because they're all in unbelief, so now I can have mercy on them all. Isn't that wonderful? 
So that's what God's doing. He says, they're all in unbelief. Well, I can save them all now. They're all candidates for salvation. That's wonderful. All sinners. That means he sees them. He sees them all as sinners. He sees them all as candidates for salvation. And he says, and that's exactly what I want to do. I want to save them all. And God says, wouldn't it be great if I could just have mercy on all of them? That's, what he's, that's his position. So that's why this, that's the second conclusion of Romans 11.32. See, the first conclusion is they're all in unbelief. The second conclusion is I want, he wants to save them all, have mercy on them all. So that's how we should see the world. That's how we should see Japheth as sinners all outside, all those outside of the Lord Jesus Christ are in a state of unbelief, and therefore they're all targets for God's interest to have mercy on them and save them. So, in Genesis 11.32, the truth that he might have mercy upon all is what the prophecy of Romans 11.32 is the truth that he might have mercy upon all is the prophecy of Genesis 9.27 when he's by the word persuade. God shall persuade Japheth. That's why Paul described what we do as believers. And if you would like to turn to this, in 2 Corinthians 5.11, it speaks about something we know. And because we know this, it talks about the effect that it has on our life. It it talks about what we do because of what we know. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.11, Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord... We persuade men. See, God shall persuade Japheth, and we persuade men. It's what we know that causes us to go to such lengths of persuasion to get lost Japheth saved. You know, think about it this way, Holocaust time. We know where those train tracks end. We know that they're not just going to work camps. We know that those train tracks are ending in gas chambers and ovens. We know where those train tracks end of a life without the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that those train tracks of a life without the Lord Jesus Christ end straight in the eternal misery of hell. We know that. And that's a terror of the Lord. That's described as the terror of the Lord. And because we know where those train tracks end, we do everything we can to join God in Genesis 9.27 and persuade Japheth. To be saved, we bring the lost to the Lord Jesus Christ because we know where those train tracks end. So beyond Romans 11.32, how else does God view Japheth? Now, if you'd like to turn to John 10.16, the next part for how else does God view Japheth beyond Romans 11.32. Now, this verse, very famous verse, very important verse, John 10.16, with several parts of it which need to be looked at carefully, It says here, And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Again, this verse cannot really be understood unless you see it within the context of the Jewish setting here. First notice that what he calls Japheth, he calls Japheth the other sheep. And he explains that Japheth are not of this fold. So what is this fold referring to? That's the Jewish fold of believers who he's speaking to there. The other sheep are the Gentile believers, for the most part Japheth. So he identifies them as other sheep. Then he says, I have. He says, notice how he describes the other sheep by saying, I have. And he's saying that he possesses them. He's saying they are his 
That's how it is that he says in John, speaking on the subject of possessing them, he says to the Father, those that thou gavest me, I have kept. So he has those other sheep because they were given to him by the Father. He possesses them. And there's a very interesting statement that when he went, there's a whole chapter that's dedicated to this in Luke chapter 15. Perhaps you like to turn just to that. Luke 15, it's a whole chapter dedicated to this really several things. But one of them is the fact that he possesses. It's a very interesting statement in Luke 15. You remember the, it starts off by talking about the 90 and 9 sheep and the one that went astray. And the, the shepherd he leaves the 99 sheep and he goes out and he finds his one lost sheep. And here's how he put it. He says in Luke 15, 4, he says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if you lose one, doth not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his neighbors and his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Isn't it interesting that the shepherd tells his friends and his neighbors when he comes home, and he says, Rejoice with me, and then he says, I have found my sheep. I found my sheep, which was lost. That was his sheep that was lost, and he found his own sheep. And this is just one of three parables in this chapter. Then the other two in Luke 15 make the same point. Look at verse 8. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one? She lost what was hers. When she finds it, she finds what was hers. That was her lost coin that she lost, and she found her lost coin. And the last parable is of the prodigal son, and it starts out by saying in verse 11, a certain man had two sons. That was his son that the man lost, and it was his sheep that the shepherd lost, and it was her coin that the lady lost. So the point, what's being emphasized here, is the fact that they possessed this, that it was theirs that they lost. So when we seek to win the lost to the Lord Jesus Christ, what we're really doing is seeking to find what the Lord Jesus Christ lost, and we're bringing back to him his own. It reminds me of a trip, I may have told you this before, John Meduser and I were going to Ethiopia, and I was going through this particular, it was a bad trip, for some reason I was losing everything, I was losing things, and I hate to lose things, and so I have a habit, I may have told you that I, and when I get on the plane, I don't put things on the tray table or the seat pocket in front of you. I unbutton my shirt and I stick it in my shirt. So I figure if I get up, I'll have it with me. You know, looks a little strange, but I don't care. Because I just hate losing things. And so even little things. Rubber bands bother me if I lose those. Anyway, so on this particular trip, I had a little computer charger and I lost it on the plane. It bothered me for the whole trip. And I went back in my mind and I remembered, oh yeah, I walked off the plane and I left it. Because I remember David... He left his briefcase on a plane here in San Diego 30 minutes after he walked off the plane and came back. He said, I lost my He never got it back. So I realized, you leave something on the plane, you'll never see it again. So I was thinking about how, uh, how I lost that computer charger, and, and John was with me, and I was thinking to myself, now, what would John have done if he had seen the charger? You know, that's what I was doing with my time. And so 
I considered that, well, now would John have said, you know, hey, pal, I, I know you lost computer charger on the plane. And then I would have said, where is it? And he would have said, and if he would have said, no, I, I didn't get it for you. <laughs> then I, I would have said, John, I thought you were a friend of, you know. But then I thought, no, that's not what John would have done, because I know John. He would have, he loves drama, so he would have got the computer charger and put it in his hand and said, I got something for you, and go like that, you know. (laughs) And that's what evangelism is. That's what it's all about. It's seeing the lost as his. Those that the Lord Jesus Christ himself has lost. It is gaining the feeling that he has, that terrible, hollow feeling in your gut when you've lost something. It's that feeling of the loss that the Lord Jesus Christ feels over his lost souls. It's doing all we can to persuade them in order to have the joy of really bringing them back to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, I found what you lost. And so a few years ago, John and I also were in Tanzania in the Serengeti. We were looking at animals. And our guide was a Muslim. His name was Bashiri. And every day I prayed for Bashiri and talked to Bashiri about how wonderful the Lord Jesus Christ was and to how great it was to be a follower of his. And as a matter of fact, uh, John is with Bashiri right now, and, and he's actually spending the night right now in, in the lodge where we were in the middle of the Serengeti. And it's just surrounded by animals. In fact, John just texted me this morning. He said he saw three lions, three cheetahs. No, three lions, three leopards, and two cheetahs. You know, anyway. And so we stayed in this lodge, and there's lots of baboons around this lodge. And one of them came into my room. And when I opened the door, because I left the window open, and he was there in my room, just me and him together. And so we had a little stare-down contest until <laughs> I finally convinced him that he should leave. And he left, and he went into John's room and stole John's shirt. <laughs> but anyway, Bashiri told us something very, very moving at that lodge where they are right now. And he told us that when you walk from your room to the dining hall, they have a little walkways. In the evening, he said, do not make a lot of noise, and do whatever you do, do not run. He says, because you don't see it, but you're being watched by animals. And then he told us what happened. He said there was a family that he had brought there from France, and they had little kids. And he went through the same thing. He explained to the kids, you know, don't run, don't yell when you go in the evening. But this one little boy, he got so excited just being there. And he started to yell, and he started to run, and a leopard had been watching him. And when he did that, the leopard jumped out and grabbed him. And he screamed, and the leopard ran off, and Bashiri jumped into the land cruiser, and honking his horn and driving all over everything, you know. And finally, the leopard was frightened, and he let go of the boy. And so Bashiri put him in the front seat and drove him back, and the leopard grabbed his juggler vein, so he bled out and died on the, on the seat. So when Bashiri told us that, you know, I was just thinking about it a lot, especially when I was walking on the pathway there, <laughs> so I was looking around, you know. But I told Bashiri how, you know, the leopard is like the devil, and the, the Bible says that the devil watches us, and he seeks, seeks, seeing who he can, he can devour, and that if you're not in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're no match, you're like the boy. And you're helpless. So on our last day together, we were on our way to the airport. It was dark, and Bashiri stopped the, the Land Cruiser to check out something. And so, you know, he was in the back of the car, so I slipped out of the car, and, and we were there alone, standing in the back of the car. And I asked him, you know, do you want to become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? And he said he did. And so he received him there. And then when we got back in the car, 
told John what happened. And so John says to Bashiri, that's great, Bashiri. What made you do that? That's what John asked. And Bashiri said, well, I could see for these last five days that Tom really cares about me. That's what he said. Well, I do. And I did care about Bashiri. But more than caring about Bashiri, I really wanted to be a friend to the Lord Jesus Christ and to say, look what I found. Here's what you lost. Here, you got, your, you got a soul back. And so way down there in Tanzania, that's where the Lord had lost a soul. And that was Bashiri. Now, John 10, 16 also says, And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Then he says, Them also I must bring. Those words are so vital for us. Them also, them also. If we just keep that in our mind. Whenever I think of Bashiri, I think of them, him also, them also. In our compound in Ethiopia where we have 30 women who came to us as Muslims, but one by one they came to the Lord Jesus Christ. And every morning before work, their supervisor Abraham teaches them the Bible. So they've come to the Lord. Them also is the key there. Them also. Then he says, I must bring. You know, notice how he says that. I must bring. Them also I must bring. He didn't say, them also I want to bring. He didn't say, that. He didn't say them also I need to bring. He said, them also I must bring. The desire is so strong here when he uses the word must for the Lord to bring them. He says, and must really expresses the priority of life. You know, a person's life can really, my life, your life, our lives, really can be summarized by just filling in the blank of I must blank. What is it? The question is not what's on our to-do list. The question is what is on our must-do list. You know, there's only four times, essentially, that the Lord Jesus Christ said he must do something. The first one was when he expressed just an overarching principle to do what he was sent here to do. That's the concept of the Messiah. The Messiah meaning sent one. He was sent here. So he he expressed that must in Luke 2.49 when just a boy of 12. So said, how is it that you sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? He also said really the same thing in John 9.4 when he said, I must work the works of him that sent me. But then the second time he expressed about must is in Luke 4.43 when he said unto them, I must preach the gospel of God to the other cities also. Therefore am I sent. Same idea. So he must do the works. He must preach. And then the third time is really a part here, which is for the non-Jewish sheep when he says in John 10.16, which we've been studying, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring as a non-Jewish sheep. The Jewish sheep really can be summarized when his discussion about when he said to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, who he called the son of Abraham, and he said, Zacchaeus in Luke 19.5, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide in that ho- at thy house. Dad, today you talked about John 10.16, which says, And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Just to summarize today for our listeners, who are these other sheep, and how can we identify them? And what does God want to do with these other sheep? 
Well, the other sheep are described in this verse as not of this fold, and he's referring to the Jewish fold, the fold of the Jewish people. In other words, those believers who came out of the Jewish people, who are of the Jewish people, they're Jewish believers. And he's saying that there's other sheep that are not of this fold. In other words, they're the Gentiles. They're the, they're the goyim, the nations of the world. And so he says in Isaiah 59, 20, and, if it, and all the way through to Isaiah 60, verse 3, it says, The Redeemer shall come to Zion, and unto them that turn from transgressions in Jacob saith the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord. My spirit that is upon thee and my words which I have put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed seed, saith the Lord, from henceforth and forever. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be upon thee, and the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. You see the pattern that's going on there as he's saying, the Redeemer is going to come to Zion, and he's going to turn away transgression in Jacob from the Jewish people. In other words, he's going to come to the Jewish people, he's going to turn away transgression from the Jewish people, and it's going to be a great light. And he's saying, as you come to the light, the light is not only for the Jewish people, it's going to shine upon the whole earth. And when that happens, Gentiles will come to thy light and kings to thy brightness. Those are the other sheep that are not of this fold. And what's going to happen? How can we identify them? They shall hear my voice. That's why in those verses, it was so emphasized about the the words that are in the mouth of the Jewish people, the words of God, that they're never going to depart from their mouth, that they're never going to depart from their, their seed, from their seed seed, that this is is the basis for the salvation of the people of Israel and that the people of the world. It's the word of God. And so how are they going to be identified? They'll hear his voice. This is what it means when it says in 1 Peter 1.23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God. They're saved by the word of God. They put their trust in the word of God, as it says in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, for this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. So we see and we identify the other sheep and the sheep the, the, the both folds, the sheep from both folds, they hear the word of God, they respond to the word of God, they say this Bible was not the word of man, this is the word of God. And what does God want to do with those sheep? He wants to bring them all together as one. The vision that's given of this is in Isaiah nineteen twenty four through 25. In that day shall Israel be the third with Egypt and with Assyria, even a blessing in the midst of the land, whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, mine inheritance. See, it's always in the past in the Bible we say, well, the Jewish people are the people of God, but here, as God brings them into one fold, he says, Egypt is my people. And always God has said that the Jewish people were the work of his hands, but here, as he brings them all together, he said, Assyria is the work of my hands, and Israel might inherit it. In other words, he's 
bringing them all together as one. And that's what's meant when Paul speaks to the Gentile believers in Ephesians 2, 11 through 14. And he's telling them now, you are now one. Where he says, wherefore, remember that you were being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of promise, no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both, who had made both one. What both? What one? Both folds. He says he hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. That wall that was separating between the Gentiles and the Jewish people in Christ, in the Lord Jesus Christ. God looks at that wall and he says, break it down. Just like the wall of the Iron Curtain, take it down, break it apart. No more. There's a reunification now, a unification of people, Jewish people, Gentile people, in the Lord Jesus Christ as they together hear him speak in the Bible. Together they have come to be saved, and they are now one in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us today. Now, it's wonderful as Gentile believers that we're part of one fold, and God still has lost sheep that are out there, especially his lost nation of Jewish brethren. Now, Tom Cantor and Israel Restoration Ministries, we have a heart for reaching the lost Jewish people in Israel, in the United States, and all over the world. And if you've got a heart for reaching the lost Jewish people around you, we want to put a free Jewish evangelism gift into your hands. Call us today at 1-800-247-3051. It's a free gift, but it's got to be given to Jewish people, one 800 247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or you can go to friendshipwithgod.org, fill out our online form, and we'll send a free gift to them or to you. We've got an opportunity in the Southern California area, in San Diego and the Orange County area, to become a full-time missionary for Israel Restoration Ministries. Now, you'll be a courier of the gospel to the Jewish people, going door-to-door, friendshipwithgod.org, or 1-800-247-3051. Return a lost sheep to God today.